0: The verses that we consider this evening for our prayer service are taken from Proverbs. Uh, but as background to that, I want you to turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And there we'll read the first 11 verses. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor. That the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. From such withdraw thyself. And now these uh, next verses are really the background for the proverb we have For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Which, while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Now let's turn to Proverbs chapter 15. Proverbs chapter 15. And there we're going to consider verses 16 and 17. That's our text for this evening. Proverbs 15, verses 16 and 17. Better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasures in trouble therewith. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a stalled or fatted ox and hatred therewith. That's it. Proverbs is the book of God's wisdom. And there is great wisdom in these two verses we have before us. In these verses, God tells us what is better. It is better to have just a little bit with the fear of the Lord than to have great treasure and trouble therewith. Much better. And then the second proverb which follows is a companion and the two must be brought together. It's better to have a dinner of herbs where love is. Much better than to have a stalled or fatted calf and hatred therewith. The wisdom set forth in these two proverbs is repudiated by many. Many consider themselves to be wiser than God. That's the nature of unbelief. Unbelief blinds us to the wisdom of God and leads us to embrace all sorts of foolish notions. The wisdom of this world, which is only folly, has an entirely different evaluation than we find here in this Word of God. Unbelief in its foolishness and blindness, says this, it's better, better to have treasure, especially great treasure, even if there's trouble with it, and even if we have them in the context of hatred, it's much better, great treasure. And to have the fatted calf, much better than just a dinner of herbs, even if in that dinner there's hatred and animosity at the table, great treasure, good meat, fine food, much better, even though there's hatred and trouble with it. We consider the wisdom of God here tonight for our prayer day service. The purpose of the annual day of prayer is twofold. First of all, to ask God's blessing upon our labor, that we may have our daily bread. As I said before uh, in in, in introducing one of the songs this evening, the historic occasion for prayer day was agriculture, when in the springtime of the year, when the farmers would contemplate plowing the field, planting their seed, looking for the harvest in the fall, they wanted to ask God's blessing upon their work. Their whole livelihood depended upon the success of that crop. And over the years, agriculture in the church became less and less, and industry became more prominent. And so this day has come to be known as the prayer day for crops and industry with the same purpose in mind. Pray for God's blessing upon our labors that we may have our daily bread. But then also the purpose is to instruct from the Word of God the proper biblical view of labor. And that's what we have here before us tonight in this passage. We are told here, it is foolish to labor this year, any a year, for great treasure. Those who have their hearts set upon great treasure as they go to the shop, as they do their business, as they maintain their business, will find with the riches they may be able to uh, accumulate, they'll find hatred, and they'll find trouble, and they'll find misery. We must rather, according to the wisdom here of God, as we go about our work, in the workaday world, as we prayer, prepare for work as young people in school and college, we must have one thing in mind. Whatever we do in our work, and this includes also the work of housewives and mothers in the home, we must do so in the fear of the Lord, with love in our hearts, love for God, love for our neighbor, love for our family. And no, we may not then attain great treasure, but we will attain that which is better. We will attain the joy and the peace of God's covenant. We will enjoy the intimacy of the friendship of God in Jesus Christ. And also that will be broadened out into the joy of our family. And God will provide for our needs as we labor day by day with the fear of the Lord and love in our hearts. I call your attention to the fear of the Lord better than riches. We notice, first of all, a sharp contrast. Secondly, a divine evaluation. And finally, an important implied calling. A sharp contrast. The setting of these two Proverbs together is two families, one of which is poor and the other is wealthy. Let's start with the poor family in which there is the fear of the Lord and there is love. The Proverb is quite descriptive of this family's poverty. They have only a little. And that word little means that which is scraped Together, And so this is a family that has to scrimp and to scrape together to eke out a living. They got a little house. They got little money. They have little clothing. And little way and far as material possessions are concerned. In harmony with that, on their table they only have a dinner of herbs. The word herbs refers to vegetables. This is a family that cannot afford meat, cannot afford the finer things of life at their table. Their table is only set with vegetables. And the word dinner here indicates a small measured portion. Even though there's only vegetables for this family, there's not a lot of vegetables, just enough to satisfy the hunger of mother and father and the children. They only have a little. However, this family does have the fear of the Lord and love. First, the fear of the Lord. Fear is not used in the sense of dread fear, but in the positive sense of awe, standing in awe and reverence before the Lord God. The word, the proverb, therefore, speaks of a family, father and mother and children, who stand at awe before the Lord. Now the word Lord here is all in capital letters, which is, in the Hebrew, the word Jehovah. And that's God's covenant name. To fear the Lord is to fear Jehovah as our covenant God. God establishes in Jesus Christ a beautiful covenant relationship with his people. That covenant is an intimate relationship of friendship and fellowship in which he blesses them with all the blessings of grace. In Jesus Christ he forgives their sins and takes them back and to be reconciled with him. In Jesus Christ he gives them a new life. In Jesus Christ He becomes their intimate, close friend. They can walk with Him and talk with Him and He cares for them and provides for them. They can turn to Him in every fear, in every situation He provides for them. That's the name Jehovah. And those who have come to know the blessings and the joy of God's covenant stand in awe of Him. They see their sin. They're creatures of dust. And here the God of heaven has formed a friendship with them, an intimate friendship, eternally, overcome their guilt, transformed them from the image of the devil to his own image. They're they're in awe of him. They fear him. And since God's covenant is found in family lines, this proverb speaks of a family that fears Jehovah. In that connection, the Word of God also speaks of love in this family. This love is twofold. It is, first of all, the love of God. One who has the true fear of God in his heart loves God in adoration. Look what God has done. Look what He promises. That produces Love in the hearts of those who fear Jehovah. And that love is displayed in an earnest desire and gratitude to keep the first table of the law. Not in their own strength, but in the strength of Christ, the covenant messenger. As they stand in awe of God in the covenant, in love they want to keep the first commandment. No, not have idols, not idols, Jehovah is my God. I don't want to worship God in a way that displeases Him, the second commandment. I want to worship Him as He tells me, in a way that honors Him. No, I don't want to take His name in vain. I want to confess His name, and I want to keep the Sabbath day so that I may be strong in my service of Jehovah God. I adore Him. I love Him. And as much as possible, I want to keep His commandments of love. But that love of the proverb is also love for the neighbor, love for each other. Those who live God, love God in godly fear will also love their neighbor for God's sake. And that love will be guided by the second table of the law. As they love their neighbor, they will honor father and mother in authority. No, they don't want to kill or seek revenge or hurt in any way. They want to protect their neighbor. They want to maintain marriage and love and not fall into adultery. No, they don't want to steal. They don't want to lie. They don't want to covet. They want to be honest and truthful to maintain the honor and well-being of their neighbor. And that love is manifest especially at home in the context of the supper table because verse 17 speaks of a dinner of herbs where love is. All who belong to God's covenant of grace and have tasted its riches show that by fearing the Lord and loving Him in gratitude. But there's poverty. They only have a little. they got to scrimp and scrape to make ends meet. They don't have much on their table, just, just vegetables. And there's often a connection between that and the fear of the Lord and the love that proceeds from their heart. It's not always the case. There are many examples of God-fearing families filled with love for God and love for each other and love for the neighbor whom God has prospered they their wealthy. Abraham was such a man. There was Joseph of Arimathea. There were others in the history of the church. But more often, fearing God in love and finding it hard going financially, are companions. You know, if you're going to fear the Lord and serve him in love and serve your neighbor in love, and especially the household of faith and love that doesn't always make for riches. You fear the Lord and love him, then your desire is one thing is going to be to produce children, if possible, because that extends the covenant of God. Children are expensive. Now, if you're in a farm, which many were in the past, to have a number of sons was, was quite a bonus But when you have eight daughters and a son, you didn't make any money off them. They were expensive. And then you sent them to school. And school tuition, I never counted up how much I spent for school tuition for nine children from kindergarten all the way through high school. When they got to college, they were on their own. Couldn't do that. Although I will say, on the one hand, boy, we could have had a lot of fancy stuff. With that tuition money, we could go on a lot of vacations. But this was the best way I spent our money on our children. But it didn't make us wealthy. Not material things. And then, there's the support of the gospel. And there's caring for the poor. And other kingdom causes... To live in the fear of the Lord doesn't make it conducive to be wealthy. And then, the more faithful we are in serving the Lord in fear, the more likely we are to be persecuted, marginalized. That's been the case in a very severe way in many times in history, and still is in third countries. But even we who will, in the fear of the Lord, be faithful to the Lord, know very well that job opportunities and career opportunities are limited. Over against this, the Word of God describes a family that enjoys great earthly prosperity, but in the context of strife and hatred. Let's look at this family's wealth. We read here of their treasure. And they have great treasure. The word treasure here is a word that means that which is laid up in store, whether it's food or money or other possessions. So we've got somebody who has more than just their daily bread. They've got things they, they can lay up for the future. And, and this treasure is great. They have a great deal of wealth. And mention is made how this family eats. At their tables are stalled or fatted oxen. This is an example of fine living that riches afford over against vegetables in small measures. So here's a family of wealth. They eat well, they live well. However, in this family, there are trouble and hatred. Let's take hatred first. In this family, this home of wealth, with all of its fine feasting, uh, there's a lack of love. The members of this family, the father, the mother, the children, they don't love the Lord. What they know of Him, they hate. They hate His Word. No, they're not going to go to church on, on the Lord's Day and waste a day listening to this nonsense. They hate His law. Don't do this, don't do that. Takes all the joy out of life. We hate it. We hate His covenant. And the hatred of God and who He is spills over into hatred to others around them and hatred for each other. That always happens. If you're going to love your neighbor the way God requires and calls us in the law, you have to start with loving God. If you hate God and who He is and what He reveals about Himself, you're going to have hatred for your neighbor. Oh, there may be love, but on a, on a, on a lower level, a natural level. Even the animal world has love for its own, but it's a love that doesn't do or, endure much. It's a selfish love. I'm attracted to you, I want you because of what you can do for me. And that's a love that quickly fails, quickly quickly grows cold. So this is not a covenant home we're talking about that knows the grace of God in Jesus Christ. This is an unbelieving home outside the covenant. And from this hatred arises trouble. The word trouble here has the idea of wild and confused disorder, extreme discord. And that's the inevitable result of hatred, discord, disunity, upheaval of marriage, of family, of all society. But we're focusing now on a family at the table where there is hatred of God's rules and hatred for each other and only a a, a lower level natural love. You're not going to find honoring father and mother and those in authority, you're going to find rebellion. You're going to find murder in the form, at least, of hurtful words and revenge and anger. And faithfulness in marriage often doesn't survive long. And there's cheating and lying, stealing, And the parable emphasizes this disorder, especially in the home around the family meal. Discord between husband and wife, parents and children, brother and sister. What a commotion, what a mess. But they have wealth. They have great wealth. They're extremely wealthy. There's a connection between the hatred and strife on the one hand, and the wealth they have on the other hand. Again, that's not always the case. It's not always true that hatred and strife are found in homes of wealth. But often it is. And that's because the wealth, wealth is more easily gained and maintained when there's no fear of the Lord and where there is hatred. You know, if there's no fear of the Lord, then there's no sacrifice for the cause of the kingdom. Don't expect me to fork over money for the gospel. Don't expect me to fork over money for the Christian school and for the poor in the church. Huh, why do that? And if you're going to thumb your nose, especially at the fourth commandment, the Sabbath day and the The second table of the law, how to treat each other. And you're going to have idols in your life because you have no fear of the Lord. There's no persecution either. The world embraces you, gives you every opportunity. And then there is also little restraint on the part of those who have no fear of the Lord in their heart. Nor love of God, very little restraint from taking unfair advantage of the neighbor when you do your business, when you go to work, when you crawl up the ladder to your success. So there you have the contrast. Now we have the divine evaluation. The word of God places before us the question, which of these two is better? Is it better to fear the Lord and have love in your home, even though it means vegetables on the table and scanty living? Is that better? Or is it better to have wealth and fine living and fine eating, even though there's hatred and disorder and disruption in your home and family? All of us stand before that question. The world, in his great wisdom, in his blindness, concludes that, well, of course wealth is better. Even if it means hatred, even if it means disruption, a dysfunctional family, yeah, those aren't nice, but but wealth, that's far better. That's the world. In their unbelief. Now the question is, We who are God's people who say with the father who wanted Jesus to heal his son who was demonic, possessed and he was asked, do you believe? He said, I believe, but help thou my unbelief. Help my unbelief. Are we in our unbelief sometimes caught up in the foolishness of the world and say, yes, wealth is better. Wealth is better even though other things suffer. The word of the Lord before us gives us the wisdom of God. To fear the Lord and have love in our homes is much better, says God, even though it means poverty. And we ought to reflect a moment on that word better. The word better is a comparative form of the word good. This is good, and that is good, but this has more good than this, so this is better. That's the idea. And good here is used in the sense of that which is good for us, that which provides true joy and meaning and purpose to man's life. And the idea here is that one of these is better than the other as far as the good it brings. And it's not as though they're almost equal, but one has a little advantage over the other. The idea is rather one far, far exceeds in goodness what the other one could possibly provide. So much so that this one here is not worthy to be compared to this greater good. Not worthy to be compared. Underlying this evaluation of good are a couple of basic truths or facts of life. The first is this, earthly wealth and all of its fine living and all of the accolades it brings and all the honor it brings and all the power it may bring really doesn't satisfy, doesn't provide happiness, doesn't provide true safety. If all you have are earthly riches and earthly wealth and fine eating at your table and fine clothes, if that's all you've got, you don't have much at all. That's not the key to happy living. That doesn't provide true security. And whatever happiness you have is cheap and shallow and it doesn't last very long because how long do you have earthly wealth? Well, How long are you going to live? then your wealth is gone, isn't it? You're gone, it's wealth, your wealth is gone. No, that isn't it. And then if beside that, as you pursued it, you turned your back upon the Lord in hatred and hated your neighbor and took far and far unfair advantage and there's trouble and confusion in your life with others and especially in your marriage and your home, you're a man who's miserable, a woman who's miserable. And if there's not a repentance from that, in the day that you die, there's the misery of hell. So what is the great good of wealth accompanied with hatred and trouble and disruption in your life? What provides true happiness, security, security, meaning for man is God's friendship and God's fellowship in his covenant in God's covenant in Jesus Christ we find the almighty God the eternal jehovah to be our friend who's our constant companion to whom we can come any time day or night And have all of our needs provided. Forgiveness. Security. In His fellowship and communion, there's true joy. That's the way God made us. And that's heightened when we enjoy that fellowship in the context of a marriage and a family who also know the fellowship of God. And in that fellowship, they fear Him. And they love Him. And they love one another. There's no greater good. And that's not just for the short duration of this life. That is forever. In fact, what we enjoy now is only a small bit of what's going to come in eternity. Those who have eyes of faith to see, see this. And it doesn't make any difference whether you have to scrimp and scrape to make a living, and at your table there's only a small amount of vegetables, just enough for today. Those are not the important things. Those aren't the essentials to your happiness and your contentment and your joy. What is better? Better is to have the fear of the Lord and love, even though you have just a little bit, and a table of vegetables. So, What's the implied calling here? That's the final point. Mm -hmm. By the way, thanks for two glasses of water here, whoever did that. Let us seek after that which is better. How easily we get caught up in seeking that which is less. Fathers, going to work in the workaday world, the factory, plowing the field, running their business, easily get caught up in pursuing their business and earthly riches and to get ahead at the expense of the spiritual welfare of the family and of themselves. That's so easily done. You work hard, and we are to work hard, but work becomes unbalanced because we're after, we're after more and more. We easily do that, in wives and mothers easily fall into the same kind of thing. Many mothers who ought to be home with their children are off working so they can live better. I'm not saying mothers can never work outside the home, but their first calling is to be keepers and workers at home. But far too many women are out in the workplace where they should be home. Why? Because they want more and more and more. And then when they have more, that's their idol, their house, their furniture. That's way too much in their estimation. And their relationship with the Lord suffers. You see, that's caving into that which is less. And young people, you are going to school. You get into high school and you got to decide what you're going to do. Well, I want a career. Well, what do you want? I want to make money. I want to make money. Where is cultivating the fear of the Lord? Where is growing in love? Where is being satisfied with having less to have more of the Lord? And the more this stuff characterizes us, the more disorder and confusion there is in the home, and failures in the home, even as this proverb indicates. Let us seek that rather which is greater. God in his love has given us his salvation in Jesus Christ and drawn us into his blessed covenant life. In the process he has created us, created in us, hearts, Filled with godly fear. Hearts of love. That's what he's done. The fear of the Lord. The love of God. The love of one another. Is a blessing of God's covenant in Christ. He's given us, therefore, the greatest possession possible. Freely in grace. What a shame and disgrace. Should we neglect these great gifts. And follow after that which is less and temporary at the expense of our relationship to the Lord and to our family. Let's cultivate, cultivate the fear of the Lord that has been given to us in Jesus Christ as his people. Let's grow in our love for the Lord and love for each other in that fear. Let's cultivate that by spending the proper time in the Word of God and coming to the house of God to worship and to hear the Word and and to encourage one another in the fellowship of the saints and parents, teach this to your children by word and example. This is all important. Grow in the fear of the Lord. Grow in love. And then... In that growth, go about your daily labors. As you go to work in the workaday world, as you prepare for work, future work as students, as you labor in the house as a mother, and then be content with how God prospers you with material things, whether it's much, or little. I read earlier tonight from Timothy, 1 Timothy 6. We have brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. Let's be content. The Lord will give us what we need. The Lord will provide for us day after day. He has given us the wisdom to do this. We've seen the wisdom of God in this proverb. Now let's be wise. Let's latch on to it. And let's be wise in how we work, how we learn, how we prepare for the future. And in wisdom, let us live in the fear of the Lord and cultivate and grow in love that we may have that which is truly good and eternal, and pleasing to God. Amen. Dear God and Father, we thank Thee for this word. We thank Thee for Thy covenant love. We thank Thee, O God, for the gifts of salvation, including the fear of the Lord and of love. Give us, O God, to live this, to cultivate these, and to find the joy of Thy covenant. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.